So, you know, the they always say the perception is that study abroad is a luxury. And so there are students that I know won't walk through our door because they have that perception. I'm Jessica Glauser-Giver. And I'm Girish Balola. And you're listening to the Destiny Benders podcast, where we speak with international educators and education entrepreneurs to hear their stories of how they got started and what keeps them going in international education. Hey, Jess, welcome back to Destiny Benders. Uh, Hope you're having a good day. I have a question for you. What What? do you think when you hear the term international education? I think about study abroad. Study abroad, right? That's what most people think, particularly in a context like the U.S. when you talk to people. And when I say I'm in international education, immediately they say, oh, study abroad, because that's that's what they're familiar with. Yeah, yeah. But did you know that less than 2% of all U.S. college students actually study abroad? And that is such a tiny, tiny number. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. I did not know that. Um, Because I think the total number of undergraduate students studying in the United States is about 15 million. So 2% of that is pretty much nothing. It's not really enough um, to have any kind of an impact. Not many students are studying abroad. No. And and that's a problem, right? Especially in a globalized world. We want our students here in the U.S. to be global. And there's many challenges to study abroad. And part of that is just access, uh, funding, you know, financing and all of that. And particularly for first generation students and for students of color, uh, rural white. I mean, so many different demographics of students who don't even know that the study abroad opportunities are there. Yeah. Uh, so I'm excited because our guest today has been working in study abroad for a long time and doing a lot of work to try to enhance access to study abroad for students on her campus. Definitely. Blair McElroy is the director of study abroad and the senior international officer at the University of Mississippi. And we're super excited to have her as a guest on Destiny Benders today. Welcome to the podcast, Blair. How are you? I'm great. How are y'all doing today? Thank you for making time for us. We're really excited to learn a little bit more about you and your journey. So why don't you kick us off? Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today at the University of Mississippi. Well, if we start with the University of Mississippi, um, I am originally from Tennessee, but then came to the University of Mississippi in 1998. They had a new program called the Croft Institute for International Studies, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And that sounded really cool because it had a study abroad requirement and it also required you to study language. So I get to, you know, I'm a freshman, I get there and I intend to study French and study in Paris and live, live that life. And then I see that they offer Chinese. And so I decided to take that as well. I ended up being pretty good at it. And so I ended up changing my entire direction as far as my thesis and Um, What I studied there, um, studied in Beijing, China, and then then I didn't know what to do again. (laughs) So I decided, um, you know, I applied to some master's programs and in East Asian studies, I applied to some law schools and I eventually decided I took a year off and went, that was a crazy year, 
doing a bulldozer operation and and weird things like that for my dad. Um, and I decided that was not intellectually challenging enough. It was um, valuable, I think, but not not something I wanted to do the rest of my life. So I went back to the University of Mississippi and went to law school. This whole time that I was at the University of Mississippi, I had been a study abroad um, student worker. So I started as a student worker in the study abroad office. And now, of course, I'm, uh, I'm the senior international officer at the University of Mississippi. So I started as an employee in 2006 after having passed the bar exam and had no idea what I wanted to do and thought that it was temporary. And I ended up loving it and loving working with students and um, getting to know them and getting to know their journey and seeing how they were after they went abroad. Um, And then, of course, welcoming our international students to campus was always just a fun part of my job as well. So, uh, So here I am. Here you are. Well, we're so excited that you are on the podcast. And I know Girish and I were talking beforehand and you guys have met before, but um, Blair, you and I don't know each other. We're meeting each other for the first time on the podcast. Sometimes in our on our Destiny Benders podcast, we like to ask our um, guests to to take us all the way back, all the way back to the beginning. So we kind of started with you at university and you said you had wanted to study French and have a life in Paris. But before that, when you were growing up, what did you want to be and what, because clearly it was something along the lines of international education because you wanted to study French and you wanted to move to France. So you were drawn to that somehow. Can you think of where that started in your life, how that, how that got triggered? Yes. Um, It's funny you asked that because I I just, well, let me back up. My great aunt, um, Aunt Billy, she was a travel agent and, well, eventually became a travel agent, but she was a teacher. And she taught in um, eastern Arkansas, a very small town called Lepanto. Um, But she decided to go to Frankfurt, Germany and teach there. And so she was teaching there. And as part of her um, travels, she went all around the world. And so she would bring us back these really cool things. You know, I remember I had a pillow from Morocco and some hats from China. And, you know, she went right after it opened in the late seventies. And so she always was bringing us back things and telling us stories about her travels. And my mother recently sent me this article she found in my grandmother's old things that was written about Aunt Billy. And I didn't realize how many places she had been. You know, I'm sad that we, she isn't here, right. For us to compare notes on how places have grown and changed, but she really had a a really interesting perspective um, that she brought to her family. So I'm assuming because of that exposure, unbeknownst to you, you were developing a flair for everything and anything international. I'm just making an assumption here. Would would you say that's true? Yes. I mean, I think it, it opened my eyes to something more than, you know, the Western Europe going there. And, um, you know, she, she had been like, I said to China and Hong Kong, and all of those are really cool places to me and places that I knew I wanted to see. And I think that's probably why I started studying Chinese in the first place. I was going to ask that because you said, oh, well, I went to and I wanted to study French, but then they offered Chinese. So I decided to do that. And I thought, well, lots of universities offer Chinese, but not everybody takes that up. So what was it that you, know, you saw Chinese and you're like, well, French, pivot. Chinese. How did you make that kind of switch? Is I guess it is because of your was it your aunt? 
You know, Chinese just looked like a challenge. It was obviously very different than anything I'd ever studied. And the fact that it was offered at the University of Mississippi was fantastic. You know, we had had French and Spanish in high school and that was it. So it was, it was just something that I wanted to take on. And we had a very small class and ended up getting our fourth year was just me and another student in the class. Now the the University of Mississippi has a Chinese flagship program, which is, um, you know, making these really students are scoring superior on the ACTFL. And, and I was never that good. It was really a great opportunity. I had a wonderful teacher. So I want to stay on this for a second more, okay? So you talked about your great aunt that maybe would have, you know, somehow got you interested in international. You got to college and you did all of those things and then you went to law school. So two questions. One, when you're in high school, I'm sure you're thinking about a career. Uh, I mean, yeah, learning French and moving to Paris, a lot of people think of, but I'm sure you had some thoughts about what would I want to do for a living? And if there was, what was that? And then fast forward to your law degree. I mean, that seems random for you to just come back and say, I'm going to go be a lawyer after you know doing all these stuff. So help us connect that. I'm just trying to kind of figure out the whole journey. Not saying that you have to have an answer for that, but I'm just kind of curious what was going on in your head. Well, it's funny. Um, you know, in my program, in my degree program as a undergrad, um, you choose a, a regional concentration, you choose a thematic concentration. I had taken a lot of human rights classes and I ended up writing my thesis on the um, Chinese government's reaction to 9-11 after towards the Uyghur population. Um, so obviously that's still something that's happening, but it was really an interesting, interesting thing, an interesting thing that they did after that it was almost an excuse, right, to um to continually persecute these people. And so I really wanted to go into some sort of human rights law, but as I got into law school, um, I did take some of those classes, but there's not a lot of human rights work in the, in Oxford, Mississippi. Um, so I shifted a little bit to doing some consulting on intellectual property. And that was that's also something that's related to China, of course. I myself maybe purchased a lot of counterfeit bags in China, but, and realized that it's a problem now. However, you know, I still really very much um, follow uh, the the Uyghur people and the, the news on that, um, and also would love to work in human rights, maybe later. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. And so how about when you're in high school, right? You, you didn't. Oh, high school. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know what you were thinking while you're in high school. No, I was a good student and I um, had no idea. I thought I maybe wanted to be a journalist. I just didn't know. I mean, didn't we all want to be marine biologists at some point? Um, so I, paleontologist, <laughs> I don't know. I, I did think I, I might have wanted to be a journalist because I do like to write, but you know, law school lends itself to writing a lot. All of these things kind of came together, I suppose. I'd be interested to hear, you mentioned that you lived in China and studied there. Mm-hmm. Tell us some stories. Tell us a little bit about that experience. What was it like going from, I guess you first you said you were from Tennessee and then Mississippi to to China. Um, how? What was that experience? What was that like when you stepped off the plane for the first time and all those sights and sounds and thoughts and feelings? And how long were you there for altogether? I used to live in China myself. I taught English um, for a while. So I, I'm interested to see what your experience was like. I was in the far northeast 
um, near, oh, wow. the, like South, uh, near the North Korean border, actually in a town there. So, you know, where were you? What was it like? What did you do? Mm-hmm. So, you know, Jackson, Tennessee, where I'm from it, at the time was not a very big place. I mean, it, it was maybe 75,000 people. Um, Oxford, Mississippi at the time was even smaller than it is now, 25,000 people. So going to Beijing, China was a very big shift um, in kind of my perspective. You know, wow, there are a lot of people in the world who have no idea who I am. And this is, you know, everybody's lives are going on around me. And it just gives you a, a perspective on on yourself, I think, and, and a little reflection on that. It was it was huge. We, of course, you know, had a great time uh, as study abroad students. Um, but I remember it was an intensive language program. And so we were out and, you know, always trying to to use Chinese in the streets. And I remember the first time it ever clicked for me that, you know, I understand what this man is talking to me about. And that, that was one of the the greatest moments, right? It was this aha moment where you you realize that you speak this language and can communicate with, you know, billions of people. At the time, of course, I had not really thought about dialects and things like that, but it was a really, I guess, powerful moment. And because I think language learning is so connected to, you know, to intercultural communication, right? And world peace and all of those nuances that language lends lends to our conversations. Yeah. Cool. All right. Now let's fast forward to what you do now, right? So you are the senior international officer at the University of Mississippi. Um, presumably leading all of the international efforts on campus. So talk to us a little bit about what's going on at Ole Miss. What are your challenges? What are some cool things you guys are working on? We do a lot. The Senior International Officer leads the Office of Global Engagement, which um, is the international unit on campus. Of course, we have lots of departments that are doing international things and research um, that are outside of you know what we facilitate. But we have a a really wonderful study abroad program. So we partner with a lot of affiliates and we have a lot of exchange programs. And this year we're finally, we were within two students of our highest year before the pandemic started. Um, So I'm seeing that, you know, students are still wanting to go abroad and excited about it. And um, I think that that's a trend in the U.S. that they're, you know, we're kind of back We are hiring new people for the study abroad office, which is great news in order to serve those students and get more of them abroad. This past summer, we had a really wonderful program um, where we sent uh, a cohorted program of students in this impact cohort, and they are selected. um, Well, actually, nobody knows how they're selected. It's some kind of data thing, and they won't tell me, but um, these were all underrepresented students. And um, we had uh, funding from a foundation. We had funding through my office and funding from our partner, ISA. And they all went to Costa Rica as a group. And we debriefed a couple of weeks ago and they all had a really wonderful experience. We did an IDI before and after. And, you know, they made some really good strides. And I talked with one student yesterday who (laughs) she had the highest, you know, kind of jump in her, her intercultural development and she you know she was like you need to give me a prize um so <laughs> trying to think of what I can do for for Julia um but you know that was a really fun program we're going to try to continue it and um, hope that we can find some additional funding sources for it yeah as far as international students we 
have shifted our recruitment strategy um, as of last fall. And so that has kind of come under under my wing. And so what I did last fall was I just listened to people and read a lot of read a lot um, to learn about the international recruitment field. You know, I really learned that nurturing these relationships with counselors is really where um, I think the the strength of recruitment is. And so that's what I've been working on, um, you know, with with our team. Um, we have a really great team and and a lot of support there and a wonderful administration that supports us. And I think, you know, we're not pushing for a million international students. We want students who are happy and um, supported. And we're, we're looking at slower growth rather than huge numbers. Uh, we've got a huge freshman class domestically. They, you know, I think it's our highest ever. And so we're wanting to find where students are, are coming to us because they want to be here. They're finding their academic program that fits them and that they feel like they're part of the Ole Miss family. One of the things we like to talk about, and you kind of mentioned it with the program, um, the students who went to Costa Rica and you said they did an IDI before and after, and there was growth in their inter- intercultural development. The podcast is called Destiny Benders. And one of the things we like to talk about is how our guests' lives have been, their destinies have been bent and their lives changed by certain people in their lives. But on the flip side of that, how they themselves, so how are you changing lives and bending destinies in the work that you're doing? So with that program that you referenced um, a little while ago, it sounds like several of those students, if not all of them, uh, had some kind of destiny bending experience with that program. What are you What are you seeing on your campus with that and similar programs? How uh, are you bending destinies and changing lives of your students? And what are you most proud of in the work that you do where you see evidence of that? I love when we have students who come back from a study abroad program and I can see a change in them, but also they want to get involved with our global ambassador program where they're mentor to international students who come. Um, and you really see them start showing up to things that they probably wouldn't have shown up for before voluntarily, right? You know, so they're they're really, they've been truly affected by the experience and they realize that, you know, there are people who are in the same position that they were in where they were and want to help and want to be friends and kind of, you know, create a community there. How about in your own life, who has bent your destiny and changed your trajectory, I guess. I mean, one of those people might be your great aunt who kind of instilled that love of international and foreign and the other in you. How about beyond that? Like as you've gotten older um, and throughout your career and studies, some destiny vendors in your life where you thought, you know, if I hadn't met this person, I would not be where I am today. There is an associate dean um, in our in liberal arts, um, his name is Don Dyer, and not only do we both like to eat really hot things and challenge each other with our lunches, um, but he he was the one who, when um, the SIO position opened up or the previous SIO left, he said, "Why don't you just ask? And why don't you just say volunteer? You know, at least in the interim." And so I did, and I never even thought about that. I never even thought. Oh, I should I should mention it to the provost who I had never spoken to before, right? So I did, and I, I said I'm in a position where I know 
what all of these offices do. Would you take me on? Um, and then luckily, you know, the in the interim role, um, I was made permanent. It would have never occurred to me had Dr. Dyer not encouraged me. And he is a linguist. And so we have a lot of really fun conversations about language during lunch. And, you know, he's just, and he's also the the co-director of both of our language flagships on campus, our Arabic and Chinese. Um, so we work together all the time. Blair, I want to go back to something you were saying earlier about how when the students come back from a study abroad experience, you see the change in them. And I'm, I'm assuming they themselves realize something has changed in them, clearly because they're volunteering and doing those kinds of things. So that begs the question, why aren't we sending more students to study abroad? And I'm, I'm curious about what you're doing at, at Mississippi, but also generally speaking across the US, I feel like the study abroad participation is pretty anemic on campuses. We know it's clearly proven that an experience like that really does change lives. Why aren't we doing more? And what could be done? So, you know, the they always say the perception is that study abroad is a luxury. And so there are students that I know won't walk through our door because they have that perception. And so what we try to do is get out there as much as we can to talk to freshman classes, get there as, as early as possible to tell them about, you know, our exchange programs, same tuition, et cetera, you know, that we have financial aid and scholarships and it all goes through their accounts. And, you know, so they, they may, you know, pay less in rent um, in a certain country than they would in Oxford, Mississippi. It's strangely, the housing is, is very expensive here. So I do think there's a financial part of that. I do think that there are students who have jobs who can't leave or feel like they can't leave. They feel like they might lose their job. Maybe they have family or caregiver responsibilities in some way, and they just feel like they can't do it. And it's up to us to convince those students that they can do it and make those opportunities available um, that fit into those those schedules. Um, and then, of course, you know, tell them, you know, and that's been our issue is how do we reach these students? I think we posted our first study abroad TikTok yesterday. And <laughs> so, you know, we're trying to get in with the cool kids, finding them, making sure they see our, our content and read about us. And I do think, you know, personally, maybe students are scared um, to step out of their comfort zone. We see, you know, we're very aligned with the numbers you see in the nationwide that most um, are women who go abroad on our campus. And I think the the men are probably looking to go as a group. And if the group leader drops out, we see that all the time, the group leader drops out, then they they all fall out. I think we need to teach them about the value of it, the value of the experience, which they may not be getting. They may not see it as something they can put on their resume. They may just see it as something fun because that maybe is the perception. But it is, I always say this, it is study abroad. It is not a trip. It is not, it is a program. It is an academic program. You know, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of things, I mean, that that need to be shared and understood by students. And our challenge is, you know, we need more people out there talking about it. Are you able to utilize some of those students who have participated on previous programs to, you said we need more people out there talking about it. Are you using them to, as student ambassadors and study abroad ambassadors, I guess, and getting the perspective or potential students interested in the program? And how are you doing that? 
Yes. So um, the great thing about students who come back is that they want to talk about study abroad and none of their friends who went with them want to hear about it. So they're just jealous, I tell them. Um, and so they they want to talk about it. They want to, you know, meet people, tell them how great it was. And so, yes, we have some peer advisors is what we call them on our campus. And so they go out and they set up tables in our um, in the Grove and talk to students about study abroad. Anytime I meet a student, I'm like, I mean, I met a girl in Pilates the other day and I was like, oh, you went to Barcelona? How was it? You know, and then she gave me her phone number and she was like, please call me. I'll talk to anybody about anything. So we run into students all the time and they they want to talk about it with us. And we're the ones that will sit there and listen to them for, you know, an hour about their experience and seeing them excited and confident is just really wonderful. I have a much bigger question as I'm listening to your talk. So you're a linguist, you said, you're a lawyer. I didn't say I was a linguist. <laughs> <laughs> you said you speak multiple languages, don't you? Uh, but anyway, uh, your interest in languages rather, um, I'm sure you've traveled uh, all over the world. You're in a leadership position at the university now. What is missing? What is happening in the world right now, post-pandemic, Obviously, we have a lot of political issues here and abroad. What is your perspective? Just what you're seeing in terms of what we're doing from an education standpoint. Are we really creating the future leaders that we need in the current ecosystem? Well, that is a good question. What exactly do you mean by current ecosystem? The four-year college degree, the traditional educational systems, as good as they are, They've been around for way too long. You know, we're in 2023, technology's taken over, chat GPT. I know I wasn't going to bring it no, up. Oh, here we go. That's what we disappointed if I did. <laughs> um, well, you know what I mean, right? So there's so much happening in the world, so many newer um, expectations from the employer perspective in terms of what they want to see in their employees. Is our traditional educational system still catering to that? And if not, what needs to change and how can we make those changes happen? Well, I think there's real opportunity for, you know, virtual exchange, right? Um, and having students work on group projects together, um, things, you know, where they're accomplishing something together and and maybe learning some skills that they they maybe wouldn't have in uh, in a traditional classroom, um, hands-on things, you know, uh, maybe computer-based AI, you know, stuff. <laughs> um, I do think that there is a lot of room for that here. And, and that is something that I would love to see more on our campus because, yes, there are students who are not going to study abroad, but can we give them an experience with students from another country um, in a way that they are, are doing something hands-on learning about a different culture, but also learning how to to actually do something, right? An implied kind of project. Um, yes, I, I absolutely think that there, there's room for that. And what about yourself? So Girish has just listed all the things that you've done and where you are today. What's next for you? You, you mentioned you may like to dabble in human rights <laughs> law, possibly. Is that something? I mean, where do you go from here? You know, I don't know. Um, my life has changed a little bit over the last few months. And so there are lots of uh, opportunities, I think, out there. But um, I do have a lot I want to 
accomplish here at the university. And I think that there are still things um, that we need to do to support international students on our campus, mainly things like halal dining options. You know, that's something that I've been fighting since before the pandemic. And, you know, things changed with a lot of uh, a lot of suppliers and, and food options after that. Um, there are lots of things I think that could make international students feel a lot more at home here in in Oxford. And that is what I really want to focus on right now, which will be slow going, I'm sure. But I was lucky to come in um, to where retirement is just a few years away from me. I, I have this certain like, you know, years that I need to put in. Um, but when that's over, I don't know. Um, I've been working with <laughs> I've been working with our new student that we have supported through the Cutter Scholarship for Afghans project. And that has been a very enlightening experience um, as far as how many people were involved in her successful transportation and adjustment to our campus. And we still, you know, you know, she's still getting adjusted. And I think that, you know, I would love to work with refugees and have be part of um, their support system. And having learned a little bit about not saying that I'm an expert at all, having learned a little bit about it, it's something that we really need here. You know, today I had to call my banker in order to get her PIN number set up. Oxford is a small town. And so the people that you know are so helpful. And um, the fact that he just said, oh, call me and give it to me. I'll make sure it's activated because she doesn't have a local SIM card yet, you know. Mm-hmm. It sounds like, so I was going to ask you, you know, what keeps you motivated in the field of international education? But it sounds like what's keeping you motivated, at least right now, is that you recognize that where you are in the institution where you're at, um, there are lots of small but impactful changes that need to happen to help international or, you know, get international students um, that level of comfort and feeling like they're really part of the university community and life in uh, Mississippi. And those kinds of things will keep you motivated. And I can't believe you just said something about retirement. What? Yeah. <laughs> We're thinking I about didn't... retirement already. Well, I, I look at the amount of... Um leave time I have built up and it counts towards your retirement. And so like it cuts into that 25 years. Oh, How much leave do you have built up and why aren't you taking it? That's my question. That is a good question. <laughs> I don't know. Larry, you mentioned a little bit ago about making um, Old Miss and Oxford more welcoming or even better for international students. So talk a little bit about that. And while we're at it, Plug Ole Miss a little bit, because we have a lot of counselors listening to this. Why should a student look at Ole Miss? The University of Mississippi and the people who work here are wonderful. Everyone wants to help students. They are invested in in their success. Um, One of my favorite people on campus, um, Dr. Charlotte Fant-Pegues, she always says that somebody on campus is going to, they're not going to tell you how to get somewhere. If you ask directions, they're going to walk with you. And that's really kind of what we're like. Um, everybody is going to walk with you, make sure you get to where you're going to go. And I think that you can translate that into your full four years or however long you're here. So the university itself, you know, for international students does have a lot of great support and we are very welcoming. But I do, you know, like I said, recognize that there there are things that make people feel comfortable. And 
a lot of that is food and living, right? You know, being happy where you live, being happy, you know, with with little bites of home, um, even though our food is really good here. You know, how can we serve the students better, um, especially when uh, a lot of them don't have cars, right? So can we take them up to Memphis more than we do um, to go grocery shopping and things like that? There are some small things to accomplish. As for just in general, we have a lot of scholarships available for international students, especially at the undergraduate level, and then um, assistantships, of course, for graduate students. And the university does really feel it's a public institution, the flagship for Mississippi, but it uh, feels small. You know, we have 25,000 or 23,000 students, excuse me, um, but we we do have a lot of opportunities here, internships, research opportunities, study abroad, right? Um, it also does feel like you can get to know a lot of people. You can get to know your faculty members. Um, you can get to know administration. There's this thing we we say the Ole Miss family, and it really does feel like a family. Uh, and my next question to you is about just you and your journey, right? I mean, we've heard about some of the things you've done as a woman, as a woman leader, as a woman leader in international education. Uh, what are some of your learnings? What advice can you give to others, uh, not necessarily women, but everybody, but particularly women, underrepresented uh, minorities in the field? What would you suggest? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm asking because you said you'd never even considered putting your name in the hat for the SIO role. Uh, I'm just kind of gleaning from that and just kind of asking that question. So tell us a little bit more about some of those things you've learned. What what would you do differently now? Or what are you doing differently now? What do you recommend people do so they can get a full experience of being in international education? Be confident about yourself, right? Um, I knew that I had the knowledge to to do that. I just never even thought of it, you know, and I don't know why that is. Um, but I, it certainly has been something that has translated. And so when I know I know something, you know, I'm going to I'm going to take that that next step, right? And be confident about my decision or about my ask, whatever it is. I also think that being um, a nice person and being a team player is always something that is valued and welcomed, right? Um, there, so I, I did not realize, you know, that there could be a lot of ticky departmental politics, right? Until I, I became part of these conversations, I think wanting to help people, wanting to help them accomplish whatever it is they're trying to accomplish, that's good for everyone. It's good for the university. It's good for the department. It's good for that particular person. Why would you? Why would you do that? Just because you know? Why would you hold back um, helping someone with facilitating an agreement, for example, because you aren't, you know, they're not on the team or something? Um, if that makes sense. So I just think being part of a service unit, uh, like we are on our campus. I mean, I really do think you're you're in the service of everyone around to accomplish internationalization goals to help students, student success, to support international students, to send students abroad, all of that stuff. I think just being someone who is easy to work with is always helpful. Yeah, what I hear you say is uh, be flexible, make it more transformational than transactional. I don't know if I'm putting words in your mouth, but those are <laughs> what I'm hearing you say. You're, you're saying it better than I did. Thank you. <laughs> Cool. Well, um, as we try to wrap up here, we want to be cognizant of your time. So we always kind of wrap up with a uh, personal, more lighthearted, uh, quick fire round. So I'll kick it off. 
What the hell is Hadi Tadi? What? Hadi Tadi is our cheer. I don't think Jasiva knows what that is. No. Did that come up in the conversation? Did I miss? (laughs) No. It did not. So Hadi Tadi is our cheer. It's our chant. Um, It happens all the time during football. Well, during any sport, someone starts out with, are you ready? And then we all say the Hadi Tadi, please do not make me say it right now. But at the football games, we get some sort of celebrity to do the hottie toddy, right? And so this last and what weekend, is it? Chant. A it's a chant. A you chant. can Google it. Someone <laughs> says, Are you ready? And then the crowd says, Hell yeah, damn right. Hottie toddy, gosh almighty, who the hell are we? Hey, flim flam, bim, bam, ole miss by damn. So that what? is our cheer you may have to cut that no no I'm There's not. A, there is a kid's version that I hear sometimes that is our chant it's funny because you know there are people like if you see someone around the world and this has happened to me I was in Florence uh Italy and saw somebody with a shirt a, a University of Mississippi shirt and I just said hotty toddy right and you just know that you're an Ole Miss fan mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. so we and always like get chalk for Jayhawks, right? Anyway. Yeah, so or not ever welcome. heard that. Welcome. Yeah. welcome. <laughs> but do you have a very long extended chant? Uh, no, we have the Texas fight song, but I wouldn't say that to anyone. Well, good. Okay, well, my quick fire question. I would like to know, going back to the very beginning of our podcast, you mentioned something about, correct me if I'm wrong, something about learning how to drive a bulldozer or... Or a, a, a some kind of heavy yes. machinery of some kind. What what is that all about? It was. I think it's still on my resume actually because it is a skill. So, the year after I graduated from college and I had I was applying to grad schools and law schools, um, I was working for my dad um, at uh, his construction company. He's since retired. I was operating heavy machinery, bulldozers and front end loaders and things like that. He also had a reverse recycling machines, um, like reverse vending machines where people would put in cans to get money for, for recycling. It was the most horrible, disgusting job ever because people <laughs> will put anything into these machines and think that it's going to give them some money back. You know, I was pulling out like hypodermic needles and like, oh God, the cans had stuff in them. Like it was horrible. And so, you know, these are all the moments where I'm like, I need to go to law school or grad school or something as much as I like just walking around and doing stuff. But that was, that was not it. Well, I mean, I, I can imagine driving a bulldozer. sounds like pretty fun though. I want to try a bulldozer. It was, it was one of the old ones with the levers, right? Um, nice. So it was a lot more difficult to, to do. The front end loader was my favorite though. It was a Volvo and it had air conditioning in it. <laughs> <laughs> Little things. All right. So you've traveled the world. Um, I don't know. How many countries have you been to? You know, I I believe I've been to 45. I need to add them up. I added several this summer. So, Cool. Two questions. If you were to go back to any one of those 45 countries, which is your top on the list, what is that country? And then the second part of that question is, what is a country that you've never been to that you want to go to? Uh, I would absolutely go back to Istanbul, Turkey tomorrow. I loved that city. It was beautiful. It was old historical the food was delicious i mean everything about it was amazing um so i would absolutely go back there anytime anyone will send me or maybe i should send myself with all that leave time i have 
Exactly. (laughs) And I have actually never been to South America. I've been to El Salvador, which I think is the most Southern I've been in Latin America. And so uh, I would love to go actually to Colombia. I think that that would be a really neat place to see. Um, Of course, anywhere in in South America, I'd like to go. That's on my bucket list, Colombia. I've not been, but I, I, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I haven't been to South America either. Cool. Awesome. Well, Blair, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I uh, hope this was as fun for you as it was for us to get to know you. And good luck with everything you're doing at Ole Miss. Sounds like you uh, have some solid plans to internationalize the campus even more. And I'll help you do that. Uh, I think that's important. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks so much, Blair. And it was really lovely to meet you. Yes, it was great to meet you too. And good to see you. And um, and I hope you all have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to Destiny Benders. 